my cardboard box situation. I don't know if you can see it. I've I've got a big this thing here. Nice. Um, that was my bike box, and now I need to work out how the hell I'm going to get that in the recycling. So um, don't bother. Just build a fort. Yeah, exactly. Me and me and the cat <laughs> we'll just build this <laughs> massive fort. You, you versus Scrumpy, laser tag in the fort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a great game. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't tell anyone. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Newham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome back. You are, as always, listening to I Might Be Wrong. I've got Henry with me. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're both enjoying Monday evening sun, which is going to be a fun challenge for me to edit and get this podcast out by Tuesday. Yeah, good, good, <laughs> good luck with that one. Thanks, mate. The temperatures are rising as well. There's going to be a heat wave this week. So, um, yeah. It is going to be pretty warm. Good luck getting toasted while the editing gets done. The plus side for that is that I can sit in the back garden and do some editing at my new IKEA garden table. Marvellous Swedes. Well done, them. Yeah. Good on them. Love them for that stuff. <laughs> we should probably get on and talk music, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should, shouldn't we? It's, um, it's your turn today. It is. Who have you chosen for us? We had a lot of discussion a few days ago when Doves released their first new music for 11 years, a new single called Carousel, and I think we both got rather excited about it, didn't we? Yeah, it's very good. I'm not going to say much more than that because this is not why we're here, but it's very good. It's not, but you are right. It's excellent. I am loving it. I have been obsessively listening to it, and I suspect that when the album comes out, we might end up doing a little bit of a hidden track on that, but... You'll hear more if we do. Yeah, but talking about obsessions, your obsession with this band goes quite a long way back, doesn't it? It does. Well, in fact, it goes back to their debut album, which is the one that we're going to talk about today, which is Lost Souls. Now, I love Lost Souls. I remember hearing... It wasn't when they first released the Cedar Room and Sea Song as singles. Uh, it was when they actually released the album, which would have been just around the 2000 mark. <sighs> I'm going to guess it was XFM, listening to XFM and hearing Cedarum and some of the other lead singles on there. And I just I just remember absolutely falling in love with this band. Was that before you went to university? Because I think you got me into Doves properly. I'd, I'd heard of them before that, but, but I guess it was it must have been before before uni. I think it was my very last year of school. I'm fairly certain that it launched... Around the same time, it would have been them and Coldplay's first album and Elbow's first or second album that all came out within months of each other and, and really locked me into loving this this kind of sound. Yeah, it was, I think, the same for me. I heard some of the singles on, it must have been, it must have been the evening session with Steve Lamack, mm-hmm. who was just giving me all my music at that point. That was on Radio 1. And I'm sure I came across... Yep. The man who told everything or something from on there. I'm not quite sure which which one it was first, but was the Cedar Room the first single? The Cedar Room was their first single as Doves, and we should dive into why I say that. So Doves are Jimmy Goodwin and twins Jez and Andy Williams, who met at school when they were 15, and they all joined bands, but different bands. 
and they were all part of that Manchester Northern Soul uh, Acid House scene that was going on and were all fans of the the Hacienda Club, which is a legendary club in Manchester from that time. And apparently they had a moment on the dance floor together and decided to pursue that music as Sub Sub, who some people will know, almost certainly will know Ain't No Love, Ain't No Use, which is a belter. Yeah, I I remember it. Uh, Yeah, I don't like it very much. Uh, It's only because... I think when it came out of school, it was just, it was, it was so poppy. I just remember it being played on the school bus when I was traveling in all the time. And it was like, yeah, it it annoys me just purely because of overplaying, I think. It definitely got played a lot and it actually isn't my favorite sub-sub track. My favorite is a track called Space Face, which uses a sample from 2001 that goes, my God, it's full of stars, and then kicks in with this very 90s acid house keyboard thing. And that actually is a favourite of mine for a couple of reasons. First off, it's an absolute belter of a tune. And secondly, it's a song that Dove's used for a number of years as the finisher for their encores. And it's absolutely brilliant. When you've just had a blindingly wonderful Doves live set and they finish it with that, it's fantastic. Yeah, so so tell us about the transition from Sub Sub to Doves because it right. sounds like it was, it was a quite interesting switcheroo. So anyone who's a Doves fan will know this story pretty intimately because it's it's really all tied up in their the creation of, of Doves as a band. Now, if you've listened to Sub Sub and you've listened to Doves, you'll realise that they sound very different from each other. And one of the reasons for that is that when they were Sub Sub, they had built up enough of a reputation and a bit of money and they put a load of gear into a studio. They were already starting to play around with more guitarsy sounds at that point. And then their studio burned down which sort of is a bit of a shitter when you're a band that needs all that equipment to uh, to record your music on. Fortunately, they had it all insured. So they started picking up the pieces once they got the insurance money, started working out what they wanted to do next. And one of the things that they realized over that next year or two was they didn't want to do the kind of electronic house music thing anymore they felt like a lot of the soul had gone from that kind of music they felt like there was something in guitar music that they were more interested in they were all guitarists drummers that kind of stuff anyway so it's almost like the house music was a bit of a departure from what they kind of knew growing up and so at that point, the three of them spent a couple of years really kind of messing around with the sound, trying to work out what they were going to do. They spent time looking for a lead singer because none of them felt like they were a lead singer. And eventually they kind of settled on Jimmy Goodwin being the lead singer, although there's always an Andy track and a jazz track, at least on pretty much every album. Yeah, so so Jimmy Goodwin's the bassist, isn't he? So I think yep. he was he's always been in the band from the start and I... I don't know, I assume he must have just started singing and they thought, hang on a second, let's just, why why are we hunting around all over the place for someone to sing when he could do it? Well, they all, it's an interesting difference to a lot of bands where the lead singer is the guy who writes the vocals. They all write different parts of all of the tracks, so they'll often be Jimmy bits of vocals and Andy bits of vocals all within 
just within one track and so there's no obvious candidate to sing them and so I think they all just sung the bits that they'd been writing as a kind of placeholder for when we get our lead singer he'll come in and record all of this stuff and then we'll replace all the vocals we have and they sort of went Jimmy sounds all right (laughs) and kind of stuck with him so you described the um the sub sub sound what's the dove sound in comparison to him okay that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) place it it's it's sort of a little bit of a difficult one because the easiest way to describe it is bluesy guitarsy indie but that really does it a massive disservice because it's so much more than just that that's the sort of the basis of what they're doing with their music but they have a lot of other stuff going on so that they have this amazing trick of being both downbeat and euphoric within the same track and sounding depressed and hopeful all at the same time it's it's a bizarrely wonderful trick that not many bands can do yeah they they do pull it off and i was thinking about the sound as well i think in their more recent albums they've got a more of a kind of well dovesy sound but for lost souls it seems to me a little bit like it actually reflects their time Mm -hmm. it almost seems like they've kind of fallen out of an acid house club and they picked up some guitars and they're chilling out on their sofas afterwards and they're making some music there's definitely an element of that there's elements of sadness and loss obviously you have a studio that you've put a lot of love and effort and time into building up and it burns to ashes that's got to be pretty devastating also there was a chap called rob gretton who was the manager of new order and a number of other bands in that manchester scene and he was i mean jimmy described him as the reason why we bother getting out of bed in the morning some days and he was hugely influential on them among a lot of other bands and he sadly passed away in the late 90s so there's some of that sadness and loss sadness and loss is a theme through this album but it always feels like there's this kind of but we're going to get past this but there's hope but there is, you know, we're going to fight back kind of feeling to all of that. Yeah, I, I like the hopefulness. The Man Who Told Everything was the first mm-hmm. song of theirs I heard and the first one that I I must have taped it off the radio or something and I put it on a compilation tape. I must have done because it's it's stuck in my head. And the lyric going into the chorus when it says, get out of bed, it's brilliant. And it's very, um, for such a simple set of words, it gets stuck in your head and doves have a way of building an atmosphere in their tracks which is quite neat so that was something i was thinking about as well and they do have this ability to build atmosphere in their music they're another one of these bands that you have certain bands and doves are one of them and muse are one of them and there's others around that i'm sure we can come up with many examples where you hear this complexity or noise or layered music and it's hugely musical and it's hugely engaging and you're like how on earth is this only three people yeah there's so much going on and they're really great at doing that they're so good at building a massively layered complex soundscape and that epicness and their ability to be really big and anthemic is something i think that's the thing that really pulled me in when i first started listening to lost souls yeah, and if you look at the 
the length of the tracks as well that sets dubs apart yeah they don't do the the standard it must be three minutes so that we can put it on the radio and the radio one will play it their style is if we want to track to build up into something and it needs to be seven minutes long we're going to make it seven minutes long well the fact that they use cedarum as as a single when it's well over seven minutes and i think their first single is just ridiculous and totally unheard of in the Britpop era that was just sort of flaming out as they started to to kind of rise to prominence another thing that i love is they are very playful with the sounds are not playful in a way that kind of comes through as playful in the music itself but certainly in what they do with the music once they're in the studio so there's things like they record in all sorts of crazy weird places they've recorded there's a track at the end of some cities which is their third album ambition was recorded in a church and there's this incredible reverb that you get from being in a church and apparently they'd already recorded it and they were recording the video for it and they went oh this sounds really great so they re-recorded it there and then live Oh, wow. and used that version on the album and it's incredible but a lot of bands wouldn't take those risks and there's also the harmonica at the start of the cedar room which sounds like someone dicking around with a guitar and some pedals to make this weird noise but it's actually a harmonica that jimmy had played and they slowed it massively down oh. and it turns into this almost like the start of a 1920s movie with a detective chasing down a train or whatever, you know, that that kind of feel to it. Yeah, I, I have noticed that. It is a funny start to a song and it, it's slightly ethereal and then the drums kick in and it's like, oh, hello. <laughs> Let's come back to that when we talk about tracks from the album because that will be a part, from, yeah. a part of that. <laughs> so one of the things that I read, because I did do a bit of research, I've obviously, I'm a massive Doves nut, so I knew... A lot of this stuff already but one of the things that i found out from from doing a bit of research is that they have a massive obsession with 1950s 1960s 1970s films and if you think about film scores and how film scores use music and then you start listening to doves and particularly lost souls through that lens it makes a lot of sense around how they're using those influences to build that atmosphere i did not know that and suddenly a lot of things fall into place <laughs> so. right right they do have a really wide range of influence this is they talk about talk talk spirit of eden wilco summer teeth beck beach boys pet sounds but i think that's probably every everyone from 1980s <laughs> onwards that play guitars yeah but also jimmy goodwin mentions loads of old soul and that comes through as well there's a truth to the northern soul cliche and you only have to listen to certain tracks on here and we should talk about the tracks because that's always important um but there are certain tracks particularly in the first half of the album that have specifically got a very northern soul feel to them and i'm thinking about particularly here it comes sea song and rise they have that beautiful lushness again they love a bit of harmonica there's way more harmonica in this album than i had thought about until i went back and listened to it specifically thinking about those things well it is interesting so there's harmonica there's there's hand claps in some of the songs there's some strings somewhere there but they're all used very sparingly they're not just chucking instruments at it just so they can build the sound. They, they're they quite specific in the way that they use that. It's very thoughtful. And you can hear that desire to make something a bit special and something a bit different to 
anything else that comes through in that music you know they've come from a world that's very different in terms of the 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 house music side of things they have been openly critical of Britpop and the Britpop sound and not wanting to sound like Britpop and I don't necessarily think that they're they are anti-Britpop they just didn't want to be just more Britpop and so I think that's where a lot of the seven minute songs things like that come in because they're deliberately pushing to something that is unusual different away from the grain I mean they talk about not wanting to sound like 60s and 70s psychedelia but there's also psychedelic elements with hazy guitars and things like that you know the kind of stuff that anyone who listens to this podcast by now knows that I love but even the opening track it's a debut album right so most debut albums people will take safe choices rather than take risks their opening track is this weird crackly dreamy opener that's completely instrumental there's no vocals on that i think there's buried vocals there's something that sounds a bit sampled it's like this hello thing that kind of comes in in the background but floats in and out it it to me sounds more like zero seven or air than traditional indie music it's it's great and and that's one where andy williams talks about it being inspired more by film music than anything else yeah, and I think I think Fire Suite is one of those that came out of kind of when they were rec- really recording sub sub tracks. Although I think they were sub sub when they started doing the dove stuff, and it sounded like the name change was really a last minute thing. So they were basically sub sub, and then thought, "Hang on a second, we need to change our name." But I think Fire Suite definitely is one of those where you can totally see the the influences of the hacienda and all that Manchester fun. Yeah, it's cool. I love it. So yeah, that's that's the opening track. And then you get this kind of, like I talked about, the Northern Soul tracks that follow that. And then you get Catch the Sun, which if you didn't know Doves and you listened to this as a single track and someone then played you the rest of the album, you're like, doesn't sound like the same band. But it works so well as an almost slightly bit of light relief. Light relief is the wrong word, I think. But you know what I mean? Like it dissipates some of the tensions that have been built up by that point. And apparently it almost didn't make it on the album because they couldn't get a recording they liked of it. Interesting. I don't like Melody Calls, the one before it. That's the only one on the album that just sounds a bit out of place. And I can't quite work out why. It just, it doesn't sit sonically with the rest of the songs on there. So um, I might be wrong, but... (laughs) You are. (laughs) yeah i went listening to this i specifically because i knew i was gonna gush a lot about how great doves are i went looking for tracks that i felt were weak were out of place all that kind of thing and even melody calls which i'd agree with you to a certain extent is isn't up there with the best tracks on the album it evolves into something a bit different it starts quite simplistically but it evolves and gets to the point where I do feel like it's worthy of being on the album. I wouldn't I wouldn't take it out if I was making decisions yeah. to to cut the album down from 60 minutes, which is obviously quite a long album for those times. So, yeah, I don't I I'm afraid you are incorrect. There are no weak tracks on this album. <laughs> <laughs> but but one thing I will say is there's so many albums that start strong and then they kind of taper off towards the end. Dove's albums have this weird trick of starting strong and getting stronger towards the end. The back half of this album is an absolute belter. Oh, I totally agree. And it yeah. starts with 
the man who told everything, which we've talked about a little bit already. And you, you mentioned is one that you really liked when you first heard it. It's probably, and I can't remember for sure, but it's probably the track that sucked me into listening to Doves in the first place. And it was definitely my absolute favourite Doves track for a few years. Yeah, same with me. It's wonderful. It's more, I don't want to say simplistic, but they keep it simple in terms of not overcrowding a track in a way that they could have with something like this. It's quite epic. So they start with that kind of acoustic guitar line and that works really well, but then they launch into this wonderful chorus with that chiming guitar, and there's harmonies that support. Jimmy's got quite a gruff voice, and harmonies against his voice work really well to kind of lift it above what could sound quite a kind of, not monotonous, but again, you listen to the way he sings, and there are certain singers like this where the things around them elevate their voice to being just spectacular. And I'm thinking Guy Garvey from Elbow. I'm thinking Matt Beringer from The National. Maybe even Tom York. You might think if he didn't have the same music around him, whether he would be as listenable as he is. So it's interesting you mention Guy Garvey because I do sometimes get Elbow and Dubs confused. Um, But both of the lead singers have a similar style, which is that they have quite low voices and it doesn't sound like they're trying to sing at the top of their lungs. They're, they're belting out these kind of huge notes. Right. They're a little bit muted. It's almost as if they kind of, you know, when you get a, a trumpet and someone puts like those kind of muffle cones in the end of it to kind of yeah. tone it down a bit. It's a bit like they're singing through one of those. It, it's not totally in your face, which is nice. They use it almost like an instrument. And it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because you'd think a voice like that would dampen the music around it and bring it down but it doesn't and it's the same with elbow when you listen to guy garvey singing on a track like one day like this which is spectacular and it soars but his gruff voice almost makes it even better yeah that definitely sounds like a dove track that one (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's interesting that you say that actually because i have this thing about bands coming in pairs Really? And Doves and Elbow were the band that kicked off my thinking of bands that come in pairs. No way. So there's Elbow and Doves, there's Arcade Fire and The National, there's like a whole list of these bands that appeared on the scene around the same time, and I love both bands, and they're sort of this pair in my mind. Oh, can we play the game then? Okay, Muse. I don't know. I was I was literally, as I was saying that, I was trying to work out who I'd think of as Muse's pair, but I don't know that there is one for Muse. I think they're a bit unique. <laughs> right. Fine, I won't. I won't play this game. Otherwise, your your logic might fall to pieces rapidly. We can we can play it later. I'll have a dig through my. Uh, I'll have a dig through the back catalogs and send you a list of them. <laughs> okay. So yeah, one one of the things again, bit of research, found out that the man who told everything. I'd always kind of assumed that it was something along these lines, but it's basically, and this is an Andy Williams quote: "The lyrics are about a disgraced, corrupt politician who sells his story to the papers and then buggers off." Yeah, I, I've I've heard that. And I think it, of all of the songs on the album, it's the one that introduces or tells the story of Lost Souls the best. I think if you're going to um, pick a track out of it to say this is really what the album is, I'd, I'd choose that one. Well, they said apparently that came about because they decided that they needed a song on the album that wasn't about themselves. Interesting. <laughs> but then it immediately after that, when you've had a, such a belter of a track, it then moves into the Cedarum, which is kind of back end of the album and again this is the one with the huge drums and yeah what do you think about that one it it's an even belter uh, track <laughs> but i think it works because you 
hit the end of The Man Who Told Everything. And then The Cedar Room's another one that's a slow burn starter. We sort of talked about the slow burn, slowed down harmonica fuckery that they that they do right at the start of the track. And it sort of then bursts to life in phases where you have first off is the drums that kick in that I was listening to it today and I'd never heard this before, but all of a sudden all I could hear was Queen's We Will Rock You. That's just big drums. It must be big drums. It's the drum clap, drum, drum, clap, drum, clap, drum, drum, clap from We Will Rock You. It's almost the same pattern for this. Oh, I need to go and listen again. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not spot on identical, but it's so reminiscent. It really echoes that wonderfully. And then that continues to build, but it's almost a minute before, or in fact, I think it's over a minute before the kind of classic chiming guitars, like that proper classic dove sound that you know. And, and again, Carousel, the new single, has exactly the same chiming guitars. They kind of kick in around a minute and 10 seconds and you just get this like honey filling your ears from that. It's just fantastic. Yeah. And then it gets even better with the chorus. Oh, yeah. yeah, I love the serum. It, it's probably why it's definitely my favorite no not favorite joint favorite it's way up there triple joint favorite (laughs) i I think i would struggle to find another doves track that i would put above it but i would struggle to put a top three or a top five in order really at a shove i i think this is going to be number one number two somewhere up there but just just the lyrics as well. I tried to sleep alone, but I couldn't do it. You could be sitting next to me, and I wouldn't know it. It's this. It's such a, an evocative, lost in your own thoughts, lost in your own feelings, miles from home thing that just everyone I think can relate to that that feeling. Post party, the hungover morning after, whatever it happens to be. Good, isn't it? It's fantastic. I've got in capital letters, love it at the end of my note for this song. Because <laughs> I, I do. Yeah, and it's 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 a long one as well. I mean, I think this must be, a, is it seven minutes? It's over something? seven minutes, yeah. 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 And it's another one that showcases the slight weirdness of the way that Doves went about songwriting, which is that they wrote it completely separately in terms of the lyrics Andy wrote the verse and Jimmy wrote the chorus and then when they came together it all just fitted that's ridiculous I would not have said that about that song because it sounds so complete and it just works so well yeah I don't mean I assume that they tweak the lyrics to make them work better but it's it's even that idea of like well I've got this chorus that I could bolt onto your verse (laughs) kind of thinking it's bizarre but cool and then after that you've got reprise which is basically instrumental echoes of the man who told everything they again talk about that being film score inspired just trying to do that kind of thing with with a song it's it's pretty ballsy because you're you're what 50 minutes into an album and normally record execs would go that's it time guys and they go no no we want to just play this again but slower (laughs) we've got a bit more before we're finished here because yeah i mean you think like if you finish this album with a cedar room it would be an incredible album and a great way to finish it. But they don't. And actually, it's an even better finish to it because A House is a wonderful track. Starts with that sample of uh, Roaring Fire. You've then got, again, another fairly simple but beautiful acoustic guitar melody and Jimmy's voice telling of a devastating fire, which you've only got to think is echoing the one that destroyed everything that Sub Sub had built. 
has to be, hasn't it? What's fascinating here is they talk about it being the fire sample being an unconscious reference to our studio fire from years ago, which was the start of the end of Sub Sub. And I thought that was funny because I thought this was an overt reference to that fire. And it turns out they don't think of it that way. Interesting. But it's definitely a fitting end to the album. And again, even though it's about a devastating fire, there are tinges of hope in the music. Yeah, they they do this all the way through, that all the way through this album, and and almost well the, the following albums as well. Yeah, they have this this. It seems to be this kind of backbone of their music. I think it's the thing that sets them apart and also makes the albums work because I think if you didn't have that hope in there, it would be very wallowing as a music style particularly with Jimmy's voice. And I think it would be very easy after 20 minutes to just dismiss it as just not something that's very enjoyable. It'd be a dirge, wouldn't it? And that's why the, the Cedarum works so well. It's it, it kind of sets its level and then you hit a chorus and it just it's kind of triumphant almost. It's exactly that. You, you want to listen to it just to wait for the chorus and you're like, come on, I'm waiting. And then it kicks in and you want to put your hands in the air. And triumphant's the right thing. There are these little triumphant moments throughout the album. And I think that's what that's what I love. I just It's so good. And it's such an incredible album. If you've never heard of Doves, if you've never really listened to this album, you need to go and listen to it because I think both of us would struggle to argue that there are many better albums from 2000. There are a couple. Kid A, maybe. Yeah, there are a few, but it's definitely up there. Should we um, should we rattle through the other albums? Yeah. Feels like it'd be rude not to, uh, not to touch on some of the others, because I know that, for starters, while this is my personal favourite, and again, I think it's a little bit driven by This Is How I Discovered Doves, a lot of people would probably suggest that The Last Broadcast is a better album. It certainly feels more accomplished. It's better produced certainly i think there are some absolutely belting tracks on there and i love it as an album for me it doesn't quite have the same there's a moment when i hit play at the start of lost souls that i just don't quite get with any of the other albums that i love them all but i don't get it the last broadcast is more expansive right so there are tracks that are more more diverse they do branch out into different styles and i think are there probably more singles on there? Maybe. But you're right. It doesn't have that complete wholeness to it that Lost Souls does. I think there's a magic about Lost Souls. And it's hard to define what that is. And Last Broadcast has some of that. I don't necessarily think some cities or Kingdom of Rust have that same magic. They have something different in there that is equally enjoyable, but is not the same. Yeah. Although you mentioned Kingdom of Rust, the title track on the album. If you don't know it, go and watch the video for that. Um, have you seen it? Yeah, I love it. Ah, uh, th- this one caught me on the hop. The song came out and I thought, oh, watch the video to this. And the video without giving anything away is a guy in this clapped out Fords driving over the Pennines to Blackpool looking upset and oof, it's it's one of those kind of film score type moments it's like watching a film and they cram all of this emotion into this little little song so yeah worth worth watching absolutely i, I really love kingdom of rust um james one of our friends who is going to come on the podcast and and chat about some of the music that he loves at some point uh he's a bit of a doves fan i was chatting to him about about the new 
single and one of the things that he mentioned was that he didn't like kingdom of rust particularly whereas i absolutely love it but i'm i think i love it because i love the evolution of bringing in more electronica and more psychedelic elements in the, than the other albums had i felt like some cities while it's a good album was only just barely an evolution from last broadcast and and if they'd kept going with another album in that vein i think i might have got a little bit bored of them at that point yeah that makes sense some of the tracks on kingdom of rust are more kind of bombastic like mm-hmm. the greatest denier um is one that yeah, i love and that's the kind of thing where if you see it live it's just going to completely fill your body with sound. The two that I had down here were The Outsiders, which opens with this massive bang and then goes all psychedelic, which which I absolutely love. And uh, House of Mirrors, which is really angular. And I love angular music. We've, we've discussed this before as well. So those two in particular stand out. I really like Kingdom of Rust as an album. I think it's, I think it's great, but I also think there's a, maybe a little bit of an element of a band that are sort of done with this now yep. and are ready to do other things, which obviously they then went on hiatus in 2010 after releasing Kingdom of Rust and have only just come back now. Yeah, yeah. And I love the fact that they've gone, let's just stop. Right. And let's not try and push albums out because there are some bands. There's a band of mine who I absolutely love called Silver Sun, and you may know them. Silver Sun commit this this terrible thing of recording huge amounts of music Mm. and they'll throw out albums and albums and they'll have 30 songs on each album and you just think guys just stop it just squash it all down into kind of eight or nine tracks just put out one album every couple of years and they would be huge but but the dubs have just gone no we're done and we're gonna stop and i like that well we talked about this with weezer didn't we the compilation band where you get two or three good tracks from each album and actually just just collect them all into one album and then you'll be fine. Or, and I'm going to be controversial here, the Beatles' White Album, which should not be a double album. It should be a single album and then you get, get rid of all the shit that's on there. There's loads. Asher, a classic example of a band who, like, oh, so gosh, yes. t- Tim, Tim Wheeler <laughs> is so full of songs and there are brilliant B-sides floating around and they've released an album of B-sides and it stands up. But you just kind of think, just if someone could edit Ash and just squash them into a kind of one set of albums, it would be brilliant. Yeah. I think you can understand why a band has that magic when you see the components of those bands going off and doing their own thing at times. I mean, Tom York, I love to bits. His solo music, particularly his first solo album, I was like... There's about half of this the rest of the band would have vetoed or insisted on working on that would have made it significantly better. Half of the album's absolutely incredible. But Doves are the same, right? Jez and Andy went off and did Black Rivers, and there's stuff on that album that I really like. There's probably two or three tracks on there that are really great, and I saw them live at uh, XOYO, which was fun, seeing them on such a tiny stage. And I think they did play one or two Doves tracks just as a nod in that general direction Uh, and Jimmy Goodwin released his own single album as well and again there's one or two really great tracks off there maybe I'll drop a couple into the playlist but again there's a feeling with both of those albums that there's some really good stuff in here if only you'd had each other to collaborate on 
and turn it into something magical rather than producing something that's, yeah, pretty good. Really quite good, but not special. Yeah. And then that brings us up to now. (sighs) So excited. So excited about this. Carousels and a bit of a bit more hope for the for the future the 19 year old in me is properly grinning from ear to ear and will be until the moment the album drops and hopefully will be for months afterwards as well we mentioned this when you introduced me to the single i don't know whether it's that style that harks back to when we were younger and we heard this music for the first time and it just gets you or it's just a brilliant piece of music i'm not quite sure which one it is but it's one to watch i think well the the interesting thing is that a number of us had the same reaction of the mix feels a bit clunky it feels a bit almost diy-ish the the drum track is tony allen before he passed away they've sampled some of his brilliant drumming and that feels like it, it definitely feels like an inserted sample and they have put that very much front and center, which I immediately went, mm, feels a bit like I love the song, but it feels, and now I don't think I'd want to listen to it any other way. Having listened to it over and over and over again, I think it works absolutely m- magnificently exactly as it is. And it's funny how those initial impressions can sometimes be really wrong on that front. Yeah. I, I don't have any qualms about the, drum track actually i i saw the comments and i um i died i'm cool with it <laughs> they can carry on <laughs> with that sample and they can produce it like that it's wicked so neil you are wrong <laughs> ouch <laughs> but neil doesn't like drumming anyway he thinks drummers should sit in the back and just gently tap away and not be heard just keep the rhythm he can come on and defend himself at some point <laughs> but i'm gonna keep giving him shit yeah i think you should why not drummers are important uh, yeah, so I know we're not going to talk about them much, but I think we should touch a little bit on a couple of songs from the last broadcast and from some cities that people should listen to. There Goes the Fear is an absolute belter. It's a classic. What a track that is. It must have been a single. It was. It must have got on the radio a lot. And I always love, whenever they play this live, Jimmy throws off his bass and grabs a set of drums and starts playing this Brazilian drum beat that kicks in at the end, and it's fantastic. Awesome. Pounding's another one that always gets a bit of hype from this album as well. The beat from this was someone commented that this was the first time that the drumming had really been great on a Dove's album. I'm not sure I'd necessarily agree with that, but it certainly is awesome. Uh, I I don't think it's great. I think it makes the track stand out. Right. It gives it its... um, the, The drumming is what Pounding is about. Yeah, exactly. And then Caught by the River is probably the other one that's well known off this album. Got used on a Scrubs episode. Have we not mentioned Caught by the River yet? No, we haven't. Wow, that's a good track. Definitely a favourite. And then, I guess from some cities, Black and White Town was the lead single, and that's a pretty good track. Uh, But I'd say there are things like um, One of These Days and Walking Fire that I really love in the middle of that album. Yeah, that album passed me by. It doesn't really do it for me. It's Black and White Town's okay. Yeah. it kind of plods along, but yeah, I, I, I'd drop that in a heartbeat for any of the other albums. Yeah, I think it's probably the least strong of any of their albums. I don't think it's a bad album. I think it's one of those albums where if you'd never heard of the band and they hadn't released anything before this album, you'd love it. But because they've got all the previous back catalogue of amazing stuff, you're sort of like, ah, it's it's good, 
but it's not quite at the same level. Yeah, yeah, but it's worth a listen. Black and White Town especially, it's a nice song, but it's not in my top 10 Doves tracks. We we should talk about them live. Yeah. And there's no point asking me, have I seen them live? Because you know I have. Because I've been there. They are probably the band that I have seen live more than any other band on the planet, any other artist on the planet. I was trying to work out how many times I've seen them live, and it's got to be double digits. Wow. Because I've seen them I've seen them do probably four or five festival sets, and I've seen them live. Okay, so Doves have a special place in my in my love of music anyway, because we already talked uh, more Chiba about the fact that I went to V2000. I'd never really been able to go and see live music because I lived out, out of London, somewhere that doesn't really have much of a live music scene at all. And my parents were always very anti me going into London with friends to watch gigs before I hit 18. And so Doves playing at the Anson Rooms during my gap year, I went up for the weekend. One of my friends, Mark, who is also a massive Doves fan, he and I and his his girlfriend at the time went to see them. And that is just a formative thing when you've never really gone to see a band that you love that much play live. It's it's the excitement, the build-up, seeing them and discovering that they are just as incredible and wonderful and able to build a beautiful, brilliant atmosphere live as they can on the album is just is just amazing yeah some bands can't do it some bands will produce a wonderful album in the studio and it just can't be recreated but dubs can totally make that noise and again back to your point about three people making all that noise i think they do have a keyboardist who comes along with them they do he's got a great name it's called Rebelski. That is an amazing name i didn't know that Rebelski, Rebelski. i think it's Rebelski. i assume it's polish that's brilliant but yeah he's he's played on a number of the albums and generally is the the touring keys for the group and it works they sonically they they really stack up live i've seen them twice three times i think it's three times right and um they did uh was it some cities i think when i saw them and they had some massive like screen playing all sorts of crazy stuff yeah i think we've mentioned them for this on previous podcasts but yeah they are big on the big projected cinematic things on screens up behind up behind their their live sessions yeah i've seen them everywhere from the anson rooms to uh, i think i saw them at the brixton academy definitely one of the larger london venues i saw them at ben and jerry's festival right there you go there's a good one <laughs> but yeah they've always been brilliant live they always bring a lot of energy jimmy always seems to be really up for it he's he's an interesting contrast so we talked about guy garvey already jimmy is very much who he sounds like he is on the album where he's like gruff and not that much banter with the audience bit of like you're right everyone's all right kind of stuff coming out guy garvey's the complete opposite i totally expected him to be the exact same as jimmy goodwin and he's just a massive showman so that was kind of an interesting contrast between the two yeah it's okay you don't really need a a, a massive talismanic front man when he can just let his music do the talking so that's cool yeah exactly like i said earlier one of my favorite things for years was that they used to finish with Space Face, which always made me happy. It's just this upbeat, wonderful, dancey track. I couldn't find it on Spotify, but it's on YouTube. Someone's found a, an old 7-inch recording and 
turn that into a digital recording so it is out there and it's worth a listen because it's it's it just makes me smile awesome cool well thank you once again for joining us it's always great to have you along for the ride for these things you can find us at i might be wrong uk we're on twitter instagram facebook come and say hello give us your feedback neil can tell me that i'm wrong about drummers and i will disagree with him yet again so yeah always great to have a chat about doves thanks for letting me ramble on about that one mate yeah it's a good one well i think they ha- they do deserve a, a place on the podium for uh, for good bands from from that era absolutely all right join us again next week cheers see ya Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.